Mr. Barnabas Grayson, are these the last days? Now we're off. Are these the last days? It's a good question to ask at this time. And where are we in Bible prophecy? I suppose you have your cup of coffee because I don't know how long this sermon will take. We know that Israel and Hamas are at war. We know that thousands have been killed. Both sides are suffering in various ways. And today also, there's, we may also remember Ukraine, where there is war ongoing over there, where around 10,000 are dead. With in both of these wars, numerous people have been wounded. Let's turn to the book of Luke, <coughs> chapter 21. I won't read all verses between 7 and 24. As you see on the handout, when wars and other catastrophes happen, it reawakens many of us to the times that we're living in. The prophecies of, of the Bible, where we begin to look at more and more. But we also must be cautious in reading too much into what we see happening in the world in its comparison with the Bible prophecy. But at the same time, to avoid falling spiritually asleep and be taken unawares. Now here in Luke 21, verses 7 through 24, beginning verse 7, and they asked Jesus, they said, Master, when shall these things be, and what signs shall there be when these things shall come to pass? We're familiar with all those passages there. And he said to them, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draws near. And go ye not there uh, for after them. So there's sometimes when these things happen, there is kind of a, they want somebody to tell them, hey, what's going on in this world of ours? Now verse 9, but when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet by and by. Now we here in America can take it kind of easy and relax a little bit because we don't have what's going on there in the Middle East or in the Ukraine 
or in other places of the world where things are going on that is a threat to, to life. Verse 10, then, he, then said he unto them, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, which has always been, and there shall be great earthquakes, shall be in different places, and famines and pestilences, fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before, but before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So a Christian has dedicated to Christ, but he's got this to look forward to. <laughs> Maybe not look forward to. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Dropping down to verse 16. And you shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinfolk and friends and some of you shall they cause to be put to, put to death. Verse 17, and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish. You know, so God, uh, Jesus Christ is in control of the future. He knows who are his. In your patience, possess you, your souls. And sometimes we, uh, you know, we're hastily looking forward to the kingdom of God to relieve all of these troubles that are before us. But in your patience, possess you, your souls. We've got to give a little bit of long suffering, even though we are anxious because of the times. Then, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the de desolation thereof is close. And then, then it says, to let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. So we know, as mentioned earlier, that the Middle East seems to always be kind of a hot spot that kind of indicates where we are in Bible prophecy. But what we see there is uh, advice to those who are in that area of Judea to take precaution. So as we look toward, look ahead toward the things that are coming up, some will think, well, is this the last days? Are we living, where are we in Bible prophecy? And, for, uh, and so on. Now in Genesis chapter 11, in the land of Shinar, we read about where uh, there was a kingdom or a city uh, fixing to be built. Now, the 21st century, as we know, uh, began on January 1st, uh, 2001, but nine months later, there was September 11, and America was, we all who were living at that time were awakened to the news of the attack there in New York City. And today, when we hear the numbers 911, we know what it's talking about. It's talking about that event that took place, which made, made known to all of Americans that a terrorist attack can happen anytime and, and anywhere inside our borders. So it was then that we know that the war on terrorism was declared. And in November of 2002, 2002, uh, that was a year after 9-11 happened, 
that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security was formed in order that we, the government, be prepared to uh, respond to any disaster, whether it be a terrorist attack or to some natural disaster that might happen along the way. Now, today we may feel relatively safe from terror attack, and life goes on as, as best it can, and most are prepared to meet the storms of life and the floods that come, come on. We have perhaps our first aid kit or flashlight and our uh, books that will uh, show us how to be prepared. And so we may feel relatively comfortable because, you know, Homeland Security and there are others, the police force and all that, we feel relatively safe. But as we saw in the news this past week, there is still a chance of domestic terror attacks taking place in, a peaceful, in peaceful settings right here in America. And most recently in Maine. So we ask, where are we in Bible prophecy? And are we living in the last days? And we ask, well, what's next and where? That question has probably crossed the mind of many of us. Because there are places that we like to be where people are gathered, having fun. And we take our uh, children with us. And so it's a question that calls for prudence. So as we are aware, since Israel was attacked by the terrorist group, uh, that area, Gaza, that whole region there, has become uh, a Middle East concern. As we know, and I'm, I'll get to uh, the uh, scripture here in just a minute, we know that there are developments in science and technology that has paved the way for rapid communication, for one thing, and rapid transportation, and access to m almost anything that we want to know about. Just, you know, at the press of a button, or uh, even uh, our voice, we ask a question, and the answer comes up on, say, our smartphone. So there are powerful devices that we have in our hand. Some of it good, some of it bad, but it's a, it, it's a kind of a modern hop, skip, and jump to whatever we want to know about. But at the same time, we know we are living in a world of have and have-nots. We have a world of blessings and cursings, a war of, a war, uh, of war and peace, of famine and plenty, and whatever you know, else we might want to compare. So to today, our generation, we know, has an influence on our life. Whatever happens way over around the world has in some way an influence in our life. And we have our smartphones to tune in to see uh, what's happening. Recently, uh, I guess in the last uh, month or two, I, I've heard about uh, read about artificial intelligence. It's a growing uh, subject in today's world. It's in a lot of places. It's called AI, and what it is, and you know this, it's the intelligence of a machine or software as opposed to human or animal intelligence. So this was a little bit about it. I, since I read some on it, 
It was a thing invented in England in 1951, so it's not all that recent, I guess, but for some of us, it's a long time ago, and we use it in our homes today. We had this little machine that uh, it knew where it could nest. It just swept the floor on its own, and it just went around the room. You just kind of got out of the way, but when it was done, covered the floor, it went back to its nest on its own, and uh, I forgot the brand of it, but I almost started to give it a name, but it's, it's, it's intelligence that learns uh, your floor space. We use it in factories and where people are putting parts together in, in the assembly line, taking the jobs of, s of some people who used to do it by hand. It's in the hospitals where uh, Operations are mapped out, and sometimes uh, mechanical instruments are used to perform the operation. And some of us have those devices like uh, Alexa. They have a name, Alexa, and there's another one, and we have one called Google. It's a little round thing that you can ha uh, crank it up or call its name, and uh, ours is Google. And, and whatever song you want to hear, the date, the time, all of that, it just comes instantly up. So we are influenced by all of the technology and communications that we have around us. Now, no one, uh, one of the fears, of course, is that AI can learn things that goes along and apply it to surrounding conditions. And some are programmed to respond to uh, uh, human feelings which could quite possibly, some fear, take over our life. The reason I'm reading all of this about the AI is that it may have a bearing on the future there in the Middle East. got a lot of detail here, and I'm just trying to phase out some of it because I see that we are at 2.30. Genesis 11, at the time we read in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9, that the whole earth was of one language and one speech. They used the same words, the same expression, the same vocabulary, and the same conversation. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And this was in, the, uh, in Chaldea around the river Euphrates. And they said one to another, go to, you know, come on, let's, let's, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for uh, mortar. And they said... Let us build, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name and let us, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So we know that this was after the flood when God had told the people to replenish, replenish the earth as he commanded. But their idea was to establish an empire or a great city of that would be independent of God and with a high tower, perhaps in case of another flood. 
This was, this project, of course, we know was uh, uh, envisioned by someone who had the power to get the people together. Now, in this land of Shinar, there was a king whose name was Nimrod, and he was a mighty hunter and a great-grandson of Noah. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built, were building. And the Lord said, Behold your people, behold the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So as we look in our world today, in our age, and all the devices and gadgets that we have, the science and the technology, uh, whatever they imagine to do is within the realm of human potential and possibilities. We know that man was made a little lower than the angels, and we know that there must have been brilliant people at that time, brilliant in science and and nothing's going to be restrained from them at that time. And so we see a lot of potential that was uh, put on check at that time. Verse 7, go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So we know that this confusion of language was, was put uh, put a check on the progress that was uh, occurring at that time in all the areas of knowledge and science and, and the culture that was going on. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from there did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So, question again, are we living in the last days? The Bible does say that we are living in the last days, the days that precede the return of Jesus Christ, the eternal God, to this earth. But as to what day or year or hour, no man knows. But Jesus did give his disciples the signs to look for. And those things that would precede his return. It's now going on around close to 2,000 years since his birth, death, and resurrection when he promised his disciples, saying, I will return and receive you unto myself. So we are waiting on, on that return. So that message, we know, is, was not only for the disciples' time in their day, but it is our time today for all these things that are occurring in our society where we've been made close by rapid communication and transportation and all these uh, gadgets and devices that we have that have put the world on the verge of just destroying itself if, if it, it gets loose. Now people have a saying, uh, they say that the future is in our hands. That's true enough, but when we think about it, it's also in the hands of the people who are around us, our family, our friends, and, and the influences that we have in our society, in our jobs, and the cosmos in general. And we could look at this and say, well, how, what, how does the future bode for us? We can, uh, from the Bible prophecies, we can see that the 
The future does not bode well, but it is not one that has no, uh, that there is no hope. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul said, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand, that it ha- you know that that day has begun. But verse three: Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there will be a time first, a time of great rebellion against God an apostasy to happen, and that these two things will happen first. That plus the son of perdition will be revealed. Verse 4, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. In other words, he's defying every God that there might be, whatever God is worshipped, but that he as God will sit in the temple of God showing he is God. What kind of man is that going to be? What kind of person is that going to be? So we see in these three verses that Paul is making a reference to the prophecy of Daniel. And so we look back over into the book of Daniel chapter 11 and uh, begin uh, verse 36. And the king shall do, this king shall do according to his will. Whatever his will is, that's the way it's going to be, which doesn't uh, bode well for us. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper until the indignation be according uh, for uh, his fate to be determined. So here, here's the greatest person that who really thinks highly of himself and shall be there in the end time as something that does not bode well for many of us. Verse 37, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself. So every, every waking hour, every day, he's magnifying himself and reminding everybody that he is above all. So thir- verse 38, but in his estate, he shall honor the God of forces. And to be worshipped. So what else is there to say about this man? Matthew 24 verses 14 through 16. Jesus said. 
that this gospel of the kingdom, the good news about the coming kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And then he said, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, stand in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand. Then, if you are in Judah, he said to flee into the mountains. You know, head, head for the hills at that time. So, the events of the domestic terror that occurred in Maine, the, the uh, terror that occurred in, uh, in uh, Ukraine and in Jerusalem, in Israel, that 9-11 event came as, you know, a shock. Some of us remember for where we were and what we were doing at that time. And some have thought, well, this is probably the beginning of the end. These are the last days that the Bible talks about. And we know that day has long since passed. That is September 11. We know that church attendance uh, went, was up. And many felt the need to get spiritually ready. This, of course, could blow over. In the, in the next couple of months, or the world will be ripe for another Middle East conflict. But again, it came as a shock and a surprise to the world for that area to be caught off guard with many dead, more, more than the deaths that occurred on 9-11. Now, this may seem somewhat mitigated by the words of Jesus who said that you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So there are other events that will fall into place. When Jesus spoke these words, it was in the context of that present time, as he was you know, speaking directly to the disciples of their days ahead, which there would be wars and rumors of wars and persecution and things of that taking place. But be ye not troubled. So how can we not be troubled or have some concern about what's happening? Here in America, as we, as we uh, talked about, we are relatively safe. And we don't, we feel like uh, we're going to get through the day or next week. But with that uh, shooting there in Maine, it makes you wonder, is there any place really safe and secure? Now, <coughs> I remember listening to the inaugural address of John F. Kennedy in these words of November 1963. He said, the world is very different now. And we can agree with that even today. The world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty but at the same time, all forms of human life. So that was about 60 years ago, and those words are much uh, clearer today, truer today than they were back then. Knowledge has increased. Technology has, in, has produced many great things. Now, in January 1991, uh, President Bush was seeking support for the war in the Persian Gulf, and he said... What is at stake is more than one small country. It's a big 
idea, a new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause. You don't hear too much about this new world order, but it's there it has been in the speeches and in the news reports. And in March of 2003, there was a Gannett News headline that read that the U.S. must lead in shaping the new world order. And it was reported in this article that the younger George Bush was calling for a U.N. Security Council vote on going to war. And he said it's time for people to show their cards and let people know where they stand in relation to Saddam Hussein, who was the, uh, the dictator, the, the cause of uh, many of the problems there in the Middle East. So from the beginning of time, when Nimrod and those wanted to build that great city and that tower, uh, there has been a succession of world empires. And the history book shows the rise and fall of these various attempts of man to set up a world government, a world order. Got the United Nations, and uh, there's NATO, and I'm not detailing all of these things that I wrote down about them. And we see Russia today testing the boundaries with its war in Ukraine. And the Muslim world could also contend for leadership in that world that is to come. So any number of nations could join a central power. And they have the technology, they can uh, cross these language barriers and produce who knows what. Sometimes I recite the words of MacArthur, General MacArthur, who said that it must be of the spirit if we are to save the flesh. So it's in our hearts, it's, it's what we believe in, it's the laws that we follow in a godly way, the righteousness that we are going to save the flesh. Maybe not in this age, but we know that in the age to come that we are being refined, that we are being tested, that we are on that way to the promise that Christ said would come our way as far as being kings and priests in that coming kingdom. So we know that there must be a heart of change from suspicion and hate toward neighbor, and to have love. But in the hands of man, peace has been a rarity. Throughout history, man has shown his proclivity toward uh, crime and violence because the way of peace they know not. So the tendency of man is, as Isaiah shows, that their feet run to evil. This is Isaiah uh, 59, verse 7 and 8. They make haste to shed innocent blood, get those who obstruct them, get them out of the way. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting, and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they don't know, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths, Whoever uh, goes therein shall not know peace. And James, you know, four one tells us about uh, why come there wars and fighting among us. So we look at Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel two. I can read all of that, but uh, he saw this disturbing dream, and 
that he was uh, discovered that he was the head, as Daniel told him, that he was the head of the first great empire. Then after him, there were some new world orders that came along. The Medo-Persian, the Greco-Macedonians, uh, and the Roman Empire, which uh, we have the old Roman Empire, uh, today's Roman Empire, built upon the thought that if they could ha have a government that extends from the Urals, from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Western Europe to, to the Urals, they could have a world ruling empire. Hitler tried it. Uh, Napoleon tried it. Who will be the next? Daniel chapter 2, 44, verse 44. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever so this is the kingdom that we have a hope for that it will soon come to relieve all the suffering that mankind is going through at this at this time don't want to keep us past the hour that I'm supposed to end but if you're like me you kind of get tired of sitting for a while and, uh, and as some of you know uh, my limbs, my legs are not as strong as they used to be, so I have to lock them into place like a horse does when he, you know, when he goes to sleep. You lock them into place and, and then just stand there. But I'm not a horse, and but it does help a little bit as if I can uh, stand straight uh, somewhat. So uh, I'm uh, not going to finish this this sermon, but in. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, verse 8, we see that the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, that Satan, when the, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And we read about the cause of all the evil, all the fighting, all the wars, all the distress that has been in the, in the world, and we see that he's behind the scene. I'll turn to Isaiah chapter 14. And verse 15. <coughs> talks about this being that is the cause of all our world troubles when he said that verse 14 he said I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the most high yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides 
of the pit. And they that see you shall narrowly look upon you. That narrowly means they're going to just gaze upon him. And consider you, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did uh, shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? So we see that this is a double reference to uh, the man of sin that is to come upon the scene who knows when. So we see an arrogant Babylonian ruler in this, these verses and compared to a very arrogant Satan who is a cause of all the distress that we see. There are five things that we need to do in the meantime. Number one, follow Jesus Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Be rooted and grounded in love. Ephesians three, fourteen through twenty one. And wait on the Lord, enduring to the end. We see that in Psalm twenty seven fourteen and. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. Some of you may remember uh, these titles because uh, uh, Lawrence, former pastor Lawrence Gregory, I took these uh, five do's from the titles of his messages uh, in the past. Follow Jesus Christ. Be rooted and grounded in love. Wait on the Lord. Enduring to the end, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. And four, to be an overcomer, Hebrews 12, 11 through 13. And be ready, to be ready when he comes, Luke 21, 34 through 36. So, where are we in Bible prophecy? We know that we are in the last days. <coughs> And when all is said and done, we have a reward for our obedience, for our endurance, and for our commitment uh, to the eternal, our God. All of these things are perhaps distressing words that the Bible has given to us in this message that we read today. And uh, I just want to close with what Lawrence used to call as a little levity in your, in your sermons, in your message. So I found this uh, little this little saying here. There was this preacher, he tried an experiment, and he told everyone, all those who want to go to heaven, to stand up. Then, after that, he said, you can sit down. And then he said, all those who want to go to hell, stand up. And there was one man, Oscar, he stood up. And the preacher said, said, Oscar, why do you want to go to hell? And he replied, oh, I don't want to go to hell. I just couldn't bear it to see you all standing up by yourself. Well, it's 
three minutes past three, it looks like, up here. So uh, that will be the sermon for this afternoon. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>